0: Hey, this is Caleb Clay, Associate Pastor of Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, Georgia. We wanna thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We believe that it will minister to you and be a blessing to your life. Now get ready to receive a word from God. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, verse 27. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, everyone say nevertheless. Yeah. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw that a sentence of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. I want to stop right there and just kind of give you a little bit of context. First off, last week, we uh, began talking about pressures, challenges, problems, trials, struggles, whatever word you want to give to it. And it's. um, uh, we said this last week, we opened up with this, that if we don't have the correct approach to struggle, we won't operate in the victory that God has for us. If we don't don't have the correct approach and if we don't have, in an even better word would be a perspective of problems, I want to help shift our perspective of challenges and struggles and even trials. We started with James and James says to what? Count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We've said before uh, you know, many times it's, it's easy to count it all joy when you come out, but we've got to count it all joy when we fall into, when we go into, even the things that um, uh, aren't by our mistakes, even the things aren't aren't necessarily brought on because of what we did or didn't do, but because that there is an enemy out there that wants to thwart the plan of God and he sees you as a threat. You know, if you're not enduring some kind of problem, struggle, or adversity in your life, it might be questionable whether you're a threat to the enemy. (laughs) Might be an indicator that maybe we're not doing enough. Amen? And so the enemy uh, uh, is opposition. He is called, the devil actually means, the word devil means adversary. That's literally what that word means. Think about it this way. God has always had an adversary. God has always had an adversity. God hasn't known a moment in time where everybody was on his side per se. There's always been opposition. You go back to Genesis chapter one and, and, and the next chapter you get into, there's a snake. There's an enemy. There is a uh, 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 a problem, a struggle, a trial, whatever something that came to oppose not just Adam and Eve, but the purpose or the plan of God through uh, that God was orchestrating through Adam and Eve. And I think we said that last week as well that the problems and the trials that we face. Uh, from the enemy are not so much indicative of what we bring, but it's indicative of what God's trying to do through you and I. There's a plan he's trying to thwart. There's a purpose he's trying to stop. And I'm gonna tell you right now, the problems that you face and the problems that we endure are bigger than us. There's a plan of God. There's the plan of God. And so in this moment here, In Numbers chapter 13, we have the Israelites come out of Egypt. They're going through the wilderness to get to the promised land. They've come out of Egypt, going through the wilderness, getting to the promised land. The promised land was just that, a land that was promised to them. Past tense. Past tense. God's word never fails. When God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. God never makes a promise he does not have the power to keep. God never makes a promise that he doesn't plan on unfolding and fulfilling in your life. So God gave this land when he promised it. We talked about Mark chapter 11 on Sunday and we said that we believe when we what? Pray. We believe we receive when we pray. So they received the Canaan land way back in Genesis when it was promised to their forefather Abraham. That's when they received the land. They didn't have to go in naturally. They could naturally possess what God had spiritually promised. I'll say that again. We need to naturally possess what God has spiritually promised. He's promised it, but it's my responsibility to possess it. He makes the promise. I make the possession. He promises it. I possess it. Now I have to actually walk out in faith, on the promise that God has made. It's not God's job to, to necessarily get us there. We know that he'll go with us. We know that we can endure any battle. He fights for us and, and God showed himself mighty through the wilderness, did he not? Did he not bring water out of a rock? Did he not bring manna on the ground? Did he not uh, uh, cause birds to bring them dinner, uh, 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 you know, fighting their battles for them or, or fighting along with them uh, miraculously, opening up the Red Sea. I mean, the list goes on and on. A cloud by day, fire by night. I mean, is God not showing himself strong to these Israelites in the wilderness? Is he not saying, I've got a promise, I'm going to help navigate you there, but you're going to have to use your faith and you're going to have to use your ability to possess it. At some point, guys, we have to step up and partner with God. We want to be partners in the promise. We want to partner with his promise. He's promised it. Now it's up to us to possess it. And so in the beginning of this chapter, God directs Moses to send in 12 spies to go take a look at the land, the promised land, the land that was already theirs, to go spy it out. And it wasn't empty. It was inhabited. There were people there. We find out that there were fortified cities. They saw the blessing of God, but then they saw also the burden. You know, promises come with blessings and burdens. The promise of God comes with blessing and burden. And burden's not a bad thing. Jesus said, Take on my yoke, right? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He, he's saying I, there is a, a, a weight and a responsibility to living the kingdom life. Absolutely. It's not this carefree, you know, bed of roses. A uh, uh, path of least resistance mentality or lifestyle, uh, walk in the kingdom life or possessing the promises of God. There's a burden, but the burden indicates the greatness that's on the inside of you. God believes in you so much, and God believes in what he's your, what your potential is, and what he's placed inside you so much that that he will place that there are great things that you will have to conquer and overcome to allow your potential to come out. We saw that last week with Jesus and uh, you know the, the turning of the water into wine, and so their their response is, yeah, it flows with milk and honey. Uh, it's got large fruit got grapes so big that we have to carry it back on poles, on sticks. I mean, they're definitely seeing the blessing, but then they also see the burden. And if we're not careful, we will allow the burden of the promise to overshadow the blessing. If we're not careful, we will allow the burden to be greater than the blessing. The weight of what is standing before us, the weight of what it's gonna take to press through this thing. Uh, Paul said, I press on towards the mark. Uh, He says that I wanna apprehend that thing that I've been apprehended for. There's something on the inside of me that keeps me going after something that's around me. I haven't yet uh, uh, accomplished it, taken hold of it. He goes on to say uh, to Timothy at the very end of his life, I what, fought The fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I mean, listen to this terminology. This doesn't sound like a cakewalk. I mean, if we didn't have any rest of history of Paul's life and all that he endured, by that statement alone, we would have a pretty good idea of the context of his life, that there were pressures, there were challenges, there were things that he had to overcome, there were things he had to battle through, fight, you don't say it was a fight of faith if it's easy. You don't say that I finished the race if there was question that you would finish. You don't say that I kept the faith if there wasn't something that was trying to steal your faith. Okay, so those are all indicators that he's having to, Work through some stuff. Anybody working through some stuff? Amen. And so these guys are working through now. They come to the promised land. And uh, uh, so they list off all the things they saw. The Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. Uh, Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. In essence, he said, shut up. Sometimes you just gotta tell worries and anxieties and struggles and and cares of the world to shut up. Why? Because they're talking to you. I mean, you may not have literal people surrounding you, giving you bad reports all the time. Maybe you do, and maybe you need to tell them to shut up from time to time. But we all have cares. We all have anxieties. We always have, we all have bills. We all have pressures that wanna talk louder than the voice of the good report. And I'm gonna tell you something. It's not about uh, uh, which one's louder. It's about which one you give attention to. It's about which one are you giving attention to? Because the Holy Spirit, you know what he's always giving you? A good report. He's always speaking to your future, not your past. He's always speaking to your potential, not what you have uh, not yet accomplished. The Holy Spirit will always identify and, and move you forward. That's why the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has come not to condemn, but to convict because condemnation points to your past, conviction points to your future. When you hear a word that's being ministered and you feel conviction on the inside, the conviction comes because someone has identified there's a future you have yet to obtain. There, there, there's potential that you have yet to see. And that conviction says, oh man, it's still there. I got this. The Holy Spirit points you to what is ahead. People want to remind you of your past. And quit, quit waiting for people to see what's in you, to step out and do what God's called you to do. God has not placed that on any person. Not your parents, not your teachers, not your spouse, not your children. There's nobody. Look, by nature, we can only see people as they are or as they were. But God is the one that has the ability to see people as who they have yet to become. That's why he could find Abraham, a fatherless man. 75 years old, married to a woman that has been barren, hasn't been able to yield any children. And even in her late ages, obviously beyond the days and, 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 and years of being able to, to do so and calls him what? A father of many nations. Everybody else would call you by what you have not. God will call you by what you have yet. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, get moving on to verse three or verse thirty. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, "Let us go up at once." He's not wanting to, to waste any time here. You know, when you're going after your purpose, when you're going after a promise of God, when you're pressing through a trial, there's no time to wait. There's no time to sit back. If if we sit back, we'll talk ourselves out of it. Caleb says, let us go up at once. Before we go any further down this negative road, before we have any more conversation, let's go now. He's saying, let us go up at once and what? Take possession, take possession. Just because it's promised doesn't mean it's in your possession yet. That's up to you. We have to take possession for we are what? Well, able to overcome it. Not just able, but well able." I want you to know today that you are well able to overcome it. You've got to overcome it. You've got to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. And I'm gonna tell you right now, anytime you're going after a promise of God, there will always be naysayers. There will always be someone to give a contrary report. And I'm not even gonna limit it to someone. It can be something. Please hear this because many times our faith only lasts until the next report. Your faith has to withstand the next report. Your faith has to endure through the next report, regardless of what you see, regardless of what you hear, regardless of what the next situation comes. And so Caleb right here, he is gonna have to stand now through the next report. They came with the negative report. Caleb brings a positive report and right back at you, here's another negative report. I mean, we, wouldn't we expect? Well, man, you know what? This guy knows something. He's right. We are willing. What are we doing talking ourselves out of this? What, what, are, we, what are we doing limiting our ability? God has given us. We, no, it didn't happen. Didn't side with them. Sometimes your, the, sometimes your faith will breed negativity. Sometimes your faith will attract challenges. Are you hearing me? That's a bullseye for the enemy. That, that, that he's, he's, looking, he, he's looking for those that are strong in faith and seeing how he can break that down. How can he, how can he whittle you down? How can he keep you from enduring? How can he break your, your spirit, break your mind? Because that, when you get broken in your mind, we end up broken in our lives. When we, when we don't wanna take the next step men, mentally, We're not gonna take the next step naturally, amen? So Caleb gives his report, but the men speak right back. We are not able, why? Because they are stronger than we. They are stronger than we. And look at verse 32, they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying the land which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, uh, came from the giants. And watch this. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. Man, that, that is a loaded, loaded statement. That's a loaded statement. You can never allow your problem to determine your identity. You can never allow your problem to determine your identity. What they do? Go and have a conversation with these guys. What they do? How, how do you guys see us? How do I mean? You know, scale one to ten. What, what, what's our well able level? No, they took on an assumption that their enemy had of them. They took on a picture of what they see. When when we approach, when we approach a problem. Without knowing our identity, we will compromise our potential. When you approach a problem without knowing your identity, you will compromise your potential. When you go before your problem, but you don't know who you are, then you'll allow your problem to tell you who you are. On the flip side of this, I'm reminded of a little shepherd boy, David. Running before a giant. But David had figured out what these guys didn't. He knew his identity. He knew who his God was. And he even told the giant, I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in my God, the King of Israel. I come to you before the one that I serve before the one that I worship, before the one that I praise. See, that's why we need to have praise and worship in our mouths. That's why we need to know how God sees us. Because if you don't understand how God sees you, you'll take on how your problems see you, how your challenges see you. And you'll always seem small to your problem. You'll always seem small when when when, when you're up against a challenge if you don't know who you are. They, they had an identity crisis. And since they didn't know who they were, they allowed their problem to tell them who they were. We're just grasshoppers in our own sight because we're grasshoppers in their sight. They allowed how they thought their enemy saw them to become how they saw themselves. You see that? Not only did they think these guys see us as grasshoppers, they took that on and said, We're just grasshoppers. Wow. But here's what I wanna show you tonight. If you go with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We cannot allow our problem to form our identity. But I, I want y'all to see this from another perspective. Remember that these Israelites are working to possess what God has already promised. And man, we love the promises of God until it demands our possession. We, we love the promises of God as long as he drops it in our lap. We love the promises of God uh, uh, until we uh, recognize that there uh, uh, is work on our part to go and take possession of the promise that God has declared over our lives. And back in Genesis chapter 15, we see where this all started. This is where it all started. Sometimes you gotta go to the beginning to get a full understanding, amen? And so Genesis chapter 15, God is speaking with Abram, at the time his name is Abram. And he is declaring to him the vision Of being a father of many nations. He's letting him know you are going to be a generational man, that there are generations coming out of you. There are nations coming out of you that I see something in you that you don't even see yourself. This whole promise was birthed out of potential. The whole promise that the Israelites were going to inherit this land was birthed from a man that couldn't even give birth. This is incredible how God is even orchestrating this from the beginning. He's saying, you will be the father of all these nations, but yet you can't have any children. But look what he says in verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, this is God speaking, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years that's their time in Egypt and also the nation whom they serve Egypt i will judge and afterward they shall come out with great possessions now as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace you shall be buried at a good old age but in the 4th generation They shall return here. He's in Canaan now. They shall return here. Watch this. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So here's the question I have. Again, we gotta back up a little bit. We gotta get a little deeper, gotta go a little further to really get the full picture, the big picture, the full story of what is going on here. But here's the question that I have. The Amorites were one of those nations that was listed when they were saying, and this is who's living in the land of Canaan. You got the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites are in there. And, and so here's the question that I have. Who's really the problem? Who is really the problem? If we back up far enough, we actually see a different perspective. The Canaanites and the the enemies that were living in the land of Canaan were not a problem for the Israelites. The Israelites were a problem for the inhabitants of Canaan. You tracking me? Watch this. Who's really the problem? Who's really on the defensive? I guess I could put it that way. Who's really threatened by who? Because according to this verse, the Israelites were sent to extract that people from Canaan. So the Amorites are not trying to keep the Israelites out of Canaan or no, 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 I'm sorry. The Israelites aren't trying to, to, to remove the, the Canaanites. The Canaanites are trying to keep the Israelites out. Who's on the defensive here? Who's really the problem? I would pose to you today that the inhabitants of Canaan are more fearful of the Israelites than the Israelites should be of the inhabitants of Canaan and I can prove it to you, Joshua chapter six. Remember how fortified the city was? Remember how walled up they all said that it was? Remember how the defenses were at top notch fortified, keeping them out. Uh, it's a land that inhabits or uh, that devours its inhabitants. Uh, they're strong, they're mighty people. Uh, there's all these different enemies there. See, the thing is, is we, will if we don't know who we are and we don't understand how challenges, uh, if we don't have a proper perspective of challenges, we will be more afraid of the problem than the problem is afraid of us. Look at what Joshua chapter six and verse one says. Now this is Jericho that is within the land of Canaan. This is one of the first battles that they have to go fight as an Israelite people. Moses has died off. Just to go ahead and catch you up, Moses has died off. They gave the negative report. The people believed the negative report. Therefore, they wandered around in a wilderness for 40 years going in circles in a land that was not promised them, a land that wasn't supposed to be given them, a land that they were just supposed to press through to get to the promised land, but yet they got stuck wandering around in a wilderness. They had to die off because God could get them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. They get stuck there, they die, a new generation is born and, and it uh, rises up. Moses dies off. God picks a new leader. Joshua says, tag, you're it. Now you're gonna take these, this generation plus Caleb and Joshua because Caleb and Joshua believed the promise of God. I- isn't it sad that they had to pay the price of wandering around in a wilderness for 40 years for somebody else's doubt? I mean, if you're not gonna believe for yourself, at least believe for those around you and don't get other people stuck in wandering around in a wilderness. I don't wanna carry that burden. But Joshua and Caleb stayed faithful. They're now having to do double time. But they stayed faithful. They got to go in to the promised land. This new generation gets to go into the promised land. Joshua ends up becoming the new leader. And look what it says in verse six, chapter six and verse one. Now Jericho was securely shut up. What? Look at this because of the children of Israel. <laughs> So you're telling me that they were actually more fearful of God's people All the way back there in Numbers chapter 13, they thought they had these great fortified cities. They thought they had these walls that couldn't be broken down. They, they, they thought that this land was, couldn't be conquered, couldn't be possessed, that they couldn't go in and inhabit what God had uh, promised them, that God must've missed it. He must've meant a different house. He must've meant a different Canaan. We're, we're, there's no way we can do it. We are not stronger than they are. And the only reason why they had even built the defenses that they built was because they were so afraid of I wonder what problems and challenges and, 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 and struggles that we're facing that they're more afraid of us than we are of the problem. Here's the thing. Why are we threatened by what is threatened by us? Why are we fearful of something that is more concerned with? I'm telling you right now The enemy is more fearful of you. The enemy knows who you are. The enemy knows what you possess. The enemy knows what your potential is. The enemy knows what your ability is. The enemy knows that you're a child of God. The enemy is more fearful of you, recognizing and discovering and understanding who you are, what your identity is, what God has promised you. If you ever come to that realization, The enemy's done. There's no problem. There's no pressure. There's no challenge that you can't take on, that you can't endure, that you can't overcome when you know that. When you become a Joshua, when you become a Caleb, you know your identity. You know who you are. You know what God has placed inside of you. And then you recognize that then you start facing your problems with potential. Caleb is speaking to potential. Caleb is speaking to what's inside of them. See, sometimes you're not gonna be able to lean on experience and say, well, I did it before so I can do it again. Caleb's having to just go out on faith knowing that he did it before so he'll do it again. He'll work with me and work through me just like he worked with us in the wilderness, just like he parted the Red Sea. I serve the same God and the same God that got me through that will get me into the promised land. That same God that opened up the rock and caused water to come out, he's not gonna bring me this far to leave me here. He's gonna get me across. He's gonna get us through. We just have to trust and believe and have our faith set firmly in him. But we recognize here that they became threatened by something that was actually threatened by them. They became fearful of a people that was actually afraid of them. Wouldn't that be a horrible thing to find out? Wouldn't that be a horrible thing to discover? that the reason why the problem is so great, the reason why the challenge is so tough, the reason why the trial is so hard to press through is because it knows what's inside of you. You've got to get this in your spirit tonight, not just in your mind, not just in your ears, not just in your head, but in your heart. You've got to understand that the reason that the, 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 the greatness of the challenge is merely an indicator of the greatness of the potential that's inside of you. The greater the challenge, the greater your potential, the greater the power of God, the greater uh, uh, the, the uh, ability of God working through you. We can't allow trials and struggles and challenges to dictate who we are. This is why you have to discover who you are and what your potential is and what your ability is outside of your problem. So that when you engage the problem, when you engage the struggle, when you come up on that issue, You're coming at it like David, knowing who you are, knowing whose you are, knowing who's with you, who's backing you up, who's going before you, who has sent you. There's a purpose and a plan of God that he's trying to fulfill through you. And so this challenge, these walls, I mean, even if you go to the beginning of Egypt or when they ended up in slavery in Egypt in the the book of Exodus, I didn't put this verse in there, Andre, but you can pull it up in in Exodus. I believe we wanna look at chapter one. This nation of Israel, this is God's people. Exodus chapter one, look at verse seven. It says, but the children of Israel were fruitful. And increased abundantly. They, they, they the scholars say. Uh, I, I've heard numbers anywhere from a million to six million people. Israelites came out of Egypt when they, when Moses delivered them. I mean, you're not. We're talking about a people that would be up in the top ten largest cities in the United States of America. You're talking about the population of. Dallas, Texas, is how many people came out of, eat that Moses had to lead out of, we're not talking about a few little families. This isn't, you know, 10 commandments, Charlton Heston stuff, man. I mean, we're talking about an entire nation of people. They grew exceedingly, but look what else it says. And grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. But there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph had favor with the previous Pharaoh, but now another Pharaoh comes in, he doesn't know Joseph, and he's what? Threatened by this people. He said to his people, look, the people of children, the people of the children of Israel are more And mightier than we. Come on, this is how your enemy sees you now. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their what? Burdens and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread. They were in dread. They were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. Ultimately, what they did is they said, We can't break them down naturally, so we're going to break them down mentally. And even though there's a lot of them, they figured out how to use the multiplication of the Israelites to their advantage. They said, we'll break them down in their minds. We're gonna tell them what to do. We're gonna put them to work doing our stuff and we're gonna use their strength to our advantage. And we're gonna break them down to think that they're so small and it worked so well that even when God was able to free them from Egypt, they still stayed in bondage in their minds. It worked so well that even when the Red Sea was parted and the water came out of the rock, and even when they, God fought their battles, and even when God showed himself mightily and in, in, in their favor over time, over and over again, they still remained in slavery. I'm trying to show you today that your enemy, your challenge, your problem, your pressures, your trials are more fearful of you than you are of them. They're more threatened by you than you should be of them. And the indicator that is revealed when you come against a great challenge is that there's great potential to overcome the great challenge. This is what God, and look, I can go through, from Genesis to Revelation, and you'll see people that endured trials, endured struggles, endured pressures. I mean, you got Elijah; he's on the point of suicide. He's so depressed uh, uh, that that he's out running away from the call of God. Uh, you, you you've got prophets that have been uh, uh, told by God that you're going to go in and you're going to speak my word to God's people, but they're going to reject it. And Jeremiah had to go in and preach the word, even though he even though he knew he was going to be rejected, you've got King David, you've got all these individuals throughout the word of God that endured through trials, endured through pressures. And the ones that overcome are the ones that learn that my identity doesn't come from my struggle. My identity doesn't come from my problem. My identity comes from my maker. My identity comes from my God. My identity comes from the potential that He's placed inside of me. And the challenge that is against me is only indicative of the potential that is within me. The pressure on the outside reveals the greatness on the inside. The enemy is in dread of you. The devil wakes up every morning hoping you don't. The enemy starts every day hoping you don't recognize what you're really capable of. Even now, even now, as I preach this message, Matthew 13 is in action right now. Is the seed falling on the wayside? Is the seed something that, that, that begins to go in, but it doesn't take any root within you because you're not meditating on it? You're not giving thought to this word right now, to the potential that's on the inside. And so maybe tomorrow you feel great. Maybe Friday is okay because Fridays are always good. But maybe next Monday rolls around and, and you feel like your problem has overcome your potential again. Or maybe the seed goes in and you receive it with joy. You're excited. You even begin to see a little bit of of crop show up, but then thorns come and choke it out. Cares of the world and the the things of the world become more important than this word right now. Or maybe you start having a, a, a season where everything's going well. Everything's okay. I don't need to be in the word as much. I don't need to focus. I mean, I only focus on the word when I'm really struggling, when I really need God. But as long as I'm doing okay, you know, I, I've got it, God, you're good. I'll call you in when I need you. And that seed gets choked out. Or is this a seed that goes in good soil tonight? Is this a seed that goes in good soil and bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold? That you recognize from this day forward, I will never fear another challenge. I will never become anxious in another trial. I will never uh, uh, be, be, become careless with the potential that's within me by becoming uh, uh, so, uh, 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 you know, having so much care about the trials that are around me, but I'm going to cast my cares on the Lord because He cares for me. It's a position in your mind. It's a position. Understanding and recognizing what God has placed inside of you. Understanding and recognizing that the trials, the challenges, the pressures come into our lives because of what you carry. And they're working harder to keep you out They have their strong defenses. The walls are fortified come on I don't I don't care if you're a business owner if you're a mom or a dad if, if, if you you you're, you work a job what whatever it is today there is a there's a category there's a capacity there's a sphere of influence that God has placed you in and there are challenges and pressures that are built into that that seem like they're trying to keep you out seem like they're trying to keep you stuck seem like they want you the enemy would rather you wander around in a wilderness than ever take one step into the promised land because everywhere you' are foot treads, it belongs to you. Belongs to you. Do not let the enemy rob you of your potential. Do not let the enemy keep you out of the promise that God has already given to you. Let's take possession. Amen. Thank you guys so much for checking out this week's message. If there is any message that you have missed or you just want to hear again, they are all available for free on iTunes. Just search Anchor Faith Church Valdosta and be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified once the new messages are available. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our church and what we have available for you and your family, or if you'd like to donate financially to the ministry, be sure to visit our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.